All right, good morning, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to Numbers chapters 23 and 24, that's where we'll be this morning. Numbers 23 and 24. As we continue our way through the book, um, we pick up with the story of Balaam and Balak. If you remember, Balak has uh, decided to hire Balaam to curse Israel. Israel's marching their way towards the promised land, a million and a half to two million people. And uh, there's a lot of them. And of course, then all the kingdoms are worried about these guys coming on the scene. What are they going to do to us? And honestly, it's probably a valid fear. um, Because God is evicting the people out of that land uh, to place his chosen people there. Um, And and, uh, dealing with sin as God does. And so Balak, seeing the handwriting on the wall, decides to hire a prophet for hire. He's a a seer, a a prognosticator. Um, um, He's occasionally used by God, but for the most part he's in for the money. So he's a mercenary missionary. (laughs) Uh, And so Balaam is, is being brought. Now, God has told Balaam, I don't want you to go. And has, uh, even spoken to him through a donkey at one point, uh, trying to get him through circumstances to not go, um, to do what he's thinking of doing. Um, God has warned Balaam, you can only say what I've asked you to say, or what I tell you to say, or command you to say. If you're going to be my mouthpiece, you're going to say what I want you to say, not what you feel like saying. Um, And so Balaam's thinking maybe God will change his mind along the way, because remember, Balaam's in it for the money. Balaam's not going to get payday unless he curses these people. Okay, so they're on their march. They're on their way. So then verse 1, Then Balaam said to Balak, Here's what you're going to do. Build seven altars for me here, and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. You give Balak something to do other than look over my shoulder. Make seven altars, throw some bulls on them. And then he says, And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, stand by your burnt offering and I will go. Um, Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height. Um, So Barak, you stand over there and watch the smoldering ashes over here and I'm going to get alone and see if God will speak to me or not. Um, I don't know if God normally spoke to Balaam at the altar. Probably did. Um, And so he was thinking that's where it was going to happen, but nothing's happening. And so he says, I want you to stay here while I go and get away from you. Um, And and maybe God will speak to me when I'm not in your presence. Um, But maybe, we don't know. Um, So he does, and he gets away to this desolate place in verse 4, and God met Balaam. So he did show up. And he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars, and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Um, This must be customary for him. This must be how he does it. Um, This is his modus operandi. Here's what we're going to do. And so I've done what I've always done, waiting on you, God. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. And so here's the thing. In verse 5, he tells him everything you're supposed to say. And so uh, Balaam's not going to come down and like be possessed by God and begin to speak, because he speaks, when he speaks to Balak, he speaks in first person. He's just narrating back to him what God told him when he was in the desolate place, Um, just so you have an understanding of what's happening here. Um, Return to him and tell him what I tell you to speak, and this is what you're going to say. So he returned to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering, uh, he and all his princes of Moab. Now those guys, um, you know, they're standing by these smoldering, they don't know what they're doing. They don't worship this God. 
This is a new god to them. They worship uh, you know, uh, Moloch and, and these other gods. That's who they worship, Baal. Um, that's where they worship. They're, they're used to worshiping pagan gods. And pagan gods need to get paid before they start doing stuff for you. That's kind of how it works. If you want a good harvest, then you've got to pay them so that they give you a good harvest. And, of course, they think this true and living God of the Israelites is the same way. And so they're standing there, and they don't know what to do. They're standing by these you know, things with their hands raised or whatever they're doing, who knows, spinning around or whatever they did for their pagan gods. And Balaam comes back and says, here's what God said to me. And he took up his oracle and said, now that, that could mean just a mantle, some sort of uh, you know, a robe or something that means now when I have this on, I'm speaking on behalf of God kind of thing. So that's the idea behind an oracle. Um, uh, anyway, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. That's what you told me you wanted me to do. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning, reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like this. That was his prophecy. That's what God had to say. Balaam's problem was, I can't curse anybody that God doesn't want to curse. He tells him as much. I can't do what you want me to do because God doesn't want to do it. So how can I do it? When God looks at them, this is what he sees. He sees a people alone, separating themselves from the rest of the nations. God's called us to that as Christians. He's called us to be separate. In fact, throughout Exodus and Deuteronomy and so on, and Leviticus, and God tells the nation of Israel, that's who you are. You're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be separate from the people of the world, and you're going to worship me, and they're going to see what it's like to have a relationship with me. And the whole point of it was for everybody in the world to come have a relationship with God. This is an example. I'm going to pick a group, okay, Israel, and you're going to be my, and this is what's going to happen, and, and, and the world's going to see our relationship. And then they'll get rid of all these pagan gods and they'll begin to worship me because I'm the one that created everything and it's all going to be, you know, we hope, great. It's their opportunity anyway for it to be great. And so that's what God sees when he sees Israel. How can I curse these people and denounce them? Well, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to bless them. We're in the middle of an exodus. We're in the middle of a deliverance here. And you want me to abort and I'm not going to do that. And then Balaam, or Balak, said to Balaam after he gave this wonderful um, uncurse. What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. And this is the attitude of the world. This is what the world sees. This is how they see it. I took you and asked you to do something for me, you know, and it didn't happen like I thought it would happen. Um, the world's used to that. They're used to paying and getting what they've paid for and getting their money's worth and value, or whatever it is. And as Christians, we have to be very careful about that, that we don't see God that way, um, that we don't use God and bribe God. You know, that's a, that's a running gag with the tithe box. Don't make it a bribe box, you know. I've dropped in 100 last week. How come things aren't straightened out yet? That's not God's wallet. I mean, it's not his... That's something that you do to give back to God, you know. 
um, what he's already given you. It's not to gain more than what he's already given you. And some people see it as, as that, and they shouldn't. And Balak's like, I'm going to pay you a lot of money, and you're not doing what I've asked you to do. I don't understand. In Acts chapter 10, verse 15, we're told, uh, Peter's told actually by Jesus, um, when Peter was encouraged to go with the Gentiles to go minister to them through that vision on top of the house where he saw all the different kind of animals come down, God says, I don't want you to call uh, common what God has cleansed. In other words, I've done something here and I don't want you to undo it or, 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 or not recognize what I'm doing. And maybe that's more it than anything, not recognizing what God's done. Don't call it common what I've cleansed. It's the same principle here. I, I'm doing a work with Israel. I don't want you to call it common. I don't want you to think we can reverse here. I want you to see what I'm doing. Now, the amazing thing is here, this is going to happen four times today, two in this uh, well, four times Balaam's going to do this exact same thing, and Balak's going to try to do it four times. Um, this is a learning lesson for Balak. That's what it's supposed to be for. He's supposed to see this. Um, you know, as bad as this whole situation is, it can be worked out for good. If Balak would sit back and realize what he's asking God to do and say, you know, I don't have to try to kill Israel. I can just join them and worship this true and living God. I don't have to be an enemy of this God or fight with this God. This God's apparently all-powerful. I can join him, but he doesn't, he doesn't see it. Um, he still, as a man, thinks he can direct the Creator. And that is our problem in the flesh. When we're acting in the flesh as Christians, when we're not walking in the Spirit, when we forget whose we are and we do belong to him as Christians, we still think we can affect God as opposed to just finding out what he wants us to do each day um, and live for him and not for ourselves. And so our prayer life often looks like that. It often looks like a, a, a time to change God's mind about situations and directions that he's taking our lives. Um, and sometimes it's necessary and sometimes it's okay, but for the most part, it's for God to get us on the same page as him. So we understand that he's going to work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Um, we want that. Um, and so he's changing our minds in prayer. And so Balak's, he's not getting it, and neither is Balaam. At this point, Balaam should realize, you know, everything that God told me on the way here is coming to pass. I'm not going to be able to do anything, and he's not going to change his mind. Balaam's answer to Balak here in verse 12 was, So he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? See, as a mouthpiece, as, an, as someone who just as an, is an ambassador for God, that's all you can do. You can't do any less than what God's asked you to do, and you can't do any more than what God's asked you to do. Some people won't understand that, and you have to accept that. As, a, as an ambassador for Christ here on this earth, many people will ask you to do more than what God's shown you to do. And you're not allowed to do that. Whether they understand it or not, you're not allowed to do that. But they've also sometimes will ask you to do less than what God's asked you to do. Why don't, why, don't do that. You don't understand. I'm under orders. I like the song. I like that we sing King Jesus. I think if we had really understood our place, when it, when it calls us ambassadors, I don't know if we really have accepted that um, position. Um, if, if, if our president, President Trump, had invited us to the Oval Office and says, hey, I'm glad you're here. Heard a lot of good things about you in Iowa, Missouri, wherever you're from. 
Um, your name's come up several times in our meetings, and I think you'd be a great ambassador to this country. Would you be willing to accept that position? You'd think long and hard about that. What does that mean? You'd probably have to bone up on what does that mean to be an ambassador? What, is, what do I do? Do I live there? Do I fly there and come home again? Or You'd find out all about that. No, you're going to have to be like resident. You're going to be in the embassy, and it's the only safe place for you is in the embassy. But I want you to stay there, and I want you to represent me and our country to this country, this foreign land. And you'd think it through, and we'd pray about it. We'd maybe, you know, get some details on it, and gosh, do I have it in me, you know, to do that? And um, what does that mean? Well, our God, our King, literally has asked us as Christians to be ambassadors for Him in this foreign land here on earth. Let that sink in. I want you to be my ambassadors here. What does that mean? That means you only do and you carry yourself like I'd want you, to be, want you to carry yourself. You only say what I want you to say. And no, you don't get to make any deals on my behalf. I'll let you know what deals you can make. You've got to run that by me first. You know? You've got to come home. I just want you to represent and say what I tell you to say to them, and I only want you to say what I tell you to say to them. Don't go beyond it and don't do anything less. That's what God's asked us to do as Christians. Balaam is simply an ambassador for God, at this point anyway. He can only do what God's asked him to do. He can't do more and he can't do less. Um, And that's where he stands and that's where we stand. In verse 13, then Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only the outer part of them and shall not see them all. Curse them for me from there. (laughs) I just read that book to my son, Green Eggs and Ham. You know, would you like them here or there? Would you eat them with a fox in a box and the whole thing? And we just love that story. I do, we do the sounds and everything, and we have some funny things we do along the way, but it's, it's almost what Balak's doing. Can you curse them here? No, I cannot. I do not like them, you know, Balak. Well, can you curse them here? Can you do it on a hill? Can you do it in a valley? Can you do it, you know, that's what he thinks. It's a location issue. Here's why he thinks that way. He thinks that way because they worship the God of the valley. They worship the God of the hills. They worship the God of the fields. They have lots of different gods they've got to appease. You know, well, we, we made our sacrifice to the God of the valley, so we've got to stay away from the hills today because I forgot to make a sacrifice to the God of the hills. So they think God is local. He's got a place. Uh, we're in the wrong place. He must not be commander of this hill. We need to go over to this spot, and maybe we can do it from there. So he brought him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. It's going to be expensive for him. And he said to Balak, stand here by your burnt offering while I meet with the Lord over there. <laughs> You're not going to be able to get cat in the hat out of your mind now, are you? You stay here, and I'm going to go there. Then the Lord met Balaam. And put a word in his mouth and said, Go back to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he came back to him, and there he was standing by his burnt offering with the princes of Moab, um, and they were with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? And he took up his oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and he will not do, or will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. 
He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him. The shout of a king is among them. God, bring them, um, God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox, and there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and, uh, and of Israel, oh, what God has done. That's what God's trying to do. Okay? It has to be said, as everybody looks at Israel, what has God done? You know, um, that's what God's going for here. So if I was to curse them now, people wouldn't say that. So it goes against God's plan. Look, a people, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down um, until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, neither curse them at all nor bless them at all. Just keep your mouth shut. You're not doing us any good here. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, Did I not tell you, saying, All that the Lord speaks, that I must do? What I don't like about this is Balaam defending himself. Bothers me. But two times now. It's almost like he's apologizing to Balak. I'd look him, you know, you've got to look him right in the eye and say, This is what you get. I don't like the fact that he's saying, Didn't I tell you this is all I can do? We know the Bible speaks of this situation, I think, in like six different other books of the Bible. And every time it's spoken of, it talks about Balaam's desire for the money. It was his love of that money. That's where these defenses are coming from. He's trying to tell him that. He's trying, I, I told you I can't do anything other than God tells me to do. Almost like a frustration. Like, I wish I could. I'd love the money. I can't do it, though. And so Balaam is trying to get paid. And he's trying to tell him, I can't do it. It's just, it's nothing, I, there's nothing I can do about this. And that's true. From another side of this thing, you understand, from the Israeli side, they have no idea this stuff is going on around them. They have no idea there's a bunch of yo-yos building altars all the way around the camp, offering up, maybe they saw the smoke, I don't know. They have no idea that people are trying to pronounce a curse on them, that they're trying to get God angry with them, that they're trying to defeat them spiritually. They have no idea this is going on, but what is God doing? God's protecting them and watching out for them. You've got to trust in the Lord. I, I wonder how much is going on around me or around you at any given day. How much is Satan trying to sift us? How much is he trying to destroy us? How much of it doesn't break through? You think you had a bad day? Oh, this is a horrible day. I wonder what it would be like if God wasn't protecting us. If his hedge of protection wasn't around us. Who's trying to pronounce a curse? Who's got a whispering campaign against you? Who's trying to make sure you're destroyed? But it's coming to nothing, and every time it backfires. God's backfires are awesome. I love this. Here I go to curse. God loves you. That didn't work. You know, be blessed and multiply. No, 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 no. You know, and this is great because God's our defense. This is what it means. He's our shield. He's our defense. He's our fortress. We don't even know it. All they are is following this pillar of fire and this pillar of smoke, going about their day, complaining about the manna. I can't believe I got to bend over again. Who knows what they're saying that day? Complaining about their bad day. They have no idea what could have been coming their way without God. So on your worst day, on your absolute worst day, praise God and thank Him for everything I didn't see that should have happened but didn't because you stepped in between me and it, whatever it was.
I love that. So then Balak said to him, said to Balaam, Please come, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, that overlooks the wasteland. Then Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars, and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said, had said, and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Now you can imagine what happens. Now Balaam saw that it, was, that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. He did not go, as at other times, to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. Now this is some interesting stuff here. So this is a sorcerer. Not just someone who can be used by God occasionally, but he's got other things going on. He's diversified, you know. He's using some other things and, and is known for this sorcery. So he didn't try to use sorcery this time because he knows he's trying to fight up against a God. Apparently, it worked at other places. I mean, I'm drawing a lot of conclusions here, but you don't make money from sorcery unless it works. But when it comes to whom God has protected, sorcery has no effect. You can't call on demons. You can't call on Satan to curse people that are already touched and blessed by God. You can't do that. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't jive. They don't mix. So who is this Balaam? Where does he land on the pastoral you know, uh, pendulum? Is he super liberal? Is he ultra conservative? I, I, I'm telling you, I don't think he's saved at all. I don't think he knows God. I think he's used of God. I think there's a difference between being used of God and someone who serves God. I think he's being used of God at, at occasions. If you turn to Matthew 7.23, Jesus warns about this in the last day, and I think Balaam fits into this category. That's not it. Yeah, 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 it is. Start in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I think Balaam's in that category. You ever wonder who that is? That's Balaam. Balaam is someone who, when God wants to bless somebody and there isn't a, a believer on sight, well, I can use this guy because all I want is the people to be blessed. He's still in trouble. And you've got to check yourself. Do I, am I serving God? Does he know me? You know? um, or, or am I in that other camp? Um, I'm just someone who practices these things in the name of God but not as a son of God or as a daughter of God. I just do it in the name of God. But I'm still my own man. I'm still my own woman. I'm still my own person. I'm not his. I'm not an ambassador. And that's where Balaam falls, I believe. And so he can't do it. He can't. And he knows that. Then Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Now some will take the time to talk to you about how the tribes camped at this point, and they... It's possible that they camped in the shape of a cross. Um, the way God describes it, as we've talked about their camping, if you looked at it from the top of a hill, you'd see 
These are the tribes to the north, to the south, to the east, and the west. And when you look at it from a hill, you'd see a cross. And the Bible doesn't tell us that. Um, but it's, it's neat to think about. But knowing my tendencies, we, we like that spooky stuff. And that's more interesting to us than the actual text. So I don't want to focus on that. Even though I let you know, I just want you to know it's out there. That isn't what matters here. It doesn't matter that he looked down and saw the shape of a cross. They have no idea what a cross is. Crucifixion isn't even invented yet. Nobody looked at it and said, oh, this is the Messiah. Jesus is coming. Nobody got that. Okay. Um, it's possible, though, that they saw that. Just so you know, that's just for, for information. What's important is what he says. The utterance of Balaam, the son of uh, Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. He's trying to make a point here. This guy's aware of the spiritual. I'm not going to try to curse them again. I've done that twice now. It's not going to happen. And so when I speak now, it's because my eyes are wide open to the facts of the matter. And the fact is that God loves these people and is going to do what he's going to do. And nothing we do can stop that. My eyes are wide open. His ears are listening. He's got the vision of what God wants to do. And he falls down in worship of this God with his eyes wide open. He fully understands. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Uh, he shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. That's how God sees these people. It's as if we haven't read the first 22 chapters of Numbers. Remember all the problems they've given God, all the headaches, all the hurt, all the betrayals, all the times Moses says, kill them. And God says, no, they're your people. And every time says, God says, I'm going to kill them. Moses says, no, they're, they're, you know, we've got to keep these guys alive. This is how God looks at them and sees them, even in the midst of all of that, even with all their past and their history. When I look at Jacob, here's what I see. I see lovely tents. I see your dwellings, O Israel. It's like valleys that are stretched out. How beautiful that is if everybody been to a valley and looked down, you know, pulled along the side of the road and looked at this mountainous, beautiful valley there. It's gorgeous, you know, wherever you were. It's hard to find a bad valley, you know. Um, maybe L.A., but um, a little smoggy there. But um, I remember when I took Anna, uh, we went to um, Yosemite, right? Is that where we went? Yosemite. And uh, we pulled over. And that, remember that roadside view from that? Under, we came out the tunnel and we parked and we looked. It's like, this is like a postcard. I mean, literally, I thought I was going to touch it. It looked 2D. It was just unbelievable. That's how God sees Israel. When I look at you, I see this beautiful valley stretched out like gardens by the riverside. Beautiful and lush, and, you know, fruitful. Like aloes planted by the Lord. Aloes are meant to, you know, care for you and heal and, and, and are soothing. Like cedars, strong, beautiful, majestic beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His, his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He is, and this is small h, so he's talking about Israel, um, you know, like Jacob, literally. Uh, God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. Uh, um, sh he shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, 
And as a lion, who shall rouse him? Blessed is he who blesses you. And cursed is he who curses you. That still stands today. It's like the fourth time he said that. When anybody that blesses you. This is, this is how, so if God's looking at them like this, and he still does to this day, he looks at the nation of Israel this way. Look at that beautiful valley. Look at those cedars. Look at the, I mean, uh, and the rest of the world looks at them and say, what are you looking at? I don't see any of that. Yeah, but that's what I see. And anybody that's blessing these people, I'm going to bless them. And anybody that's cursing these people, I'm going to curse. It's still, still true today. Then Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam. And he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies. And look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. Now therefore, flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you. But in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. It's like a child. you know. I was going to give you a lot of money, but your God's kept you from getting all that money. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get any honor. What this guy's doing in his anger is he's trying to sow discord between Balaam and God. Your relationship with God has kept you from fill in the blank. God still, Satan still does that to this day. He still whispers that in our ear. Oh, I could have blessed you with that deal if you weren't so goody two-shoes, if you weren't so honest about that contract, if you weren't so whatever, you could have totally scored big time. It's your relationship with Jesus that's holding you back. You've got to be cutthroat in this world. That's the people that get ahead. That's what's whispered. And almost every businessman's here, and he's got to make a decision. Am I going to be fair, or am I going to listen to that voice? And what Satan's trying to do and what Balak's trying to do is to sow discord between Balaam and his God. Not his God, but sow discord anyway. So Balaam said to Balak, Did I not also speak to your messengers whom you sent to me, saying if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will? What the Lord says, that I must speak. And now indeed I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. It's going to get worse. As long as I'm blessing everybody here and you're mad at me, why don't you, let, me let me prophesy about what's going to happen to you in a little bit. You know, two ways to look. Suppose Balaam was a believer. Suppose he was just a solid guy. Suppose. He's not, but suppose he is. Who wouldn't want that guy? You know, who wouldn't appreciate that honesty? Who wouldn't appreciate that steadfastness? Uh, he won't go beyond what he's supposed to do, and he won't do more than what he's supposed to do. That's a there's a guy, there's a friend, uh, there's someone who I want in my camp. You know, um, but instead they, he's uh, he's ridiculed and, and 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 well, you know, he's they're angry at him. So verse 15 is his fourth and final prophecy um, before he blows it, and he does blow it. So he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of uh, the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open, I see him, capital H, but not now. I behold him, capital H, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. The, and Edom shall be a possession. Seir also, his enemies, shall be a possession while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. 
Then he looked on Amalek, and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. Then he looked on the Kenites, and he took up his oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Asher carries you away captive? Then he took up his oracle and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coasts of Cyprus, and they shall affect Asher and affect and aff, sorry afflict Asher and afflict Eber, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went his way. There's a something happens there that we're not privy to yet. We won't hear about it until chapter 31. The fact is Balaam doesn't just go back. Between that last prophecy in verse 24 and 25, Balaam gives Balak some valuable information. And we're going to read about that. Um, The result of that information that he gives to Balak will be next week in chapter 25. This is the result of whatever that conversation was, which we hear about in 31. So anyway, that's where we close today. Um, We're going to have communion now. Um, I think we have time for that, so we'll do that. As uh, Balaam there was prophesying about the star, speaking of the Messiah, Jesus, who would come, that was a prophecy about him, um, rising up out of Israel and delivering Israel and, and, and all who believe on him. That's who we're worshiping today, if you didn't know that. Um, we worship Jesus. Jesus is God come in the flesh. And because he's God come in the flesh, that means he's perfect. It means he's sinless, without fault, without blemish. When Jesus first came to Jerusalem, the last week of his life, he came in the same time all the lambs were coming in for the Passover, for the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement that would take place. And as these lambs were brought in for the you know, ceremonial offering up for the family and for the nation, they were being inspected to see if there was any blemish in them at all. That whole week, Jesus is examined by everybody there the same time. The lambs are getting examined by the high priest. And when Jesus finally stands before Pontius Pilate at the end of this examination period, Pilate says, I find no fault in this man. There is no sin in him. And see, that was the proof, or that was the stamp of approval that needed to take place to show that he was going to be the accepted sacrifice. That he was going to die. That's what made a lamb uh, qualified to be used as a sacrifice. When John the Baptist saw his cousin Jesus coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that's what took place. And so the night he was betrayed, on that night, he took the bread and the cup, and he told his disciples, Take this bread, as often as you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. This is my broken body for you, which is going to happen the next day. So every time you have this bread, I want you to remember what I'm going to do for you tomorrow. Likewise, he took the cup that same night. He passed it around. He said, this is a cup of my new covenant, of my blood. That wasn't literally his blood. It was going to be his blood the next day. So the bread and the juice and the wine that they had that night was symbolic of what was going to take place the next day. And that's why we do this today. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember what Christ did for us at the cross 2,000 years ago that that perfect sacrifice, that perfect lamb that God provided was offered up on our behalf instead of us to not only cover our sins, but to take away our sins. And so when God looks at us, 
he sees us like Balaam was telling Balak or Barak. He looks down at us. He says, I don't see any iniquity. I don't see any fault. And they were full of fault. And we all know that because we read it. But that's not how God saw them. He saw them as a valley. He saw them as cedars. He saw them, saw them as a garden. That's how God sees you. And so this is honoring to God because we're so appreciative of the sacrifice he made for us, but also this is to remind us and remind you of how God feels about you, how he sees you. In Christ, in Jesus, that's how he feels about you. You're like cedars. I feel more like a willow, but he sees me as a cedar. He sees me as a garden. He sees me as a beautiful valley, you know. Know that. I think that's why Paul says that over and over in all of his letters. Beloved, beloved, just reminding everybody constantly, you know that you're beloved of God. You know. See, psychologists will tell us that you think of yourself the way the most important person in your world feels about you. That's how you think of yourself. So if the most important person in your world is your dad and your dad hates you, that's how you feel about yourself. Or your wife, or your husband, or whatever. If they feel that way about you, that's how you feel about yourself. Jesus Christ is your friend. He's your king. And if he's the most important person in your life, please understand this. He loves you with an everlasting love. Nothing you do can separate you from him and his love for you. And that's how we feel about ourselves. We're supposed to anyway. And so he does this to help us remember that. It's Valentine's Day this Wednesday, right? Consider that, you know. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you know, be mine. You know, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this bread and for this cup that you've given us this. It's for us to be reminded of how much you love us, what you've done for us, that the sacrifice that while we were still not yours, not with you, we were enemies of yours, that you, you sacrificed yourself for us. And we don't never experienced any kind of love like that before. Um, maybe a righteous man would die for another righteous man, and we understand that. But for you to die for us, your enemies, that's unheard of. So we thank you for that, and we're not your enemies now. We love you. Uh, we want to love you more. We're drawing near to you this morning, and your word promises us that you'll draw near to us when we do that. So thank you for being here with us. Thank you for living in our hearts. Thank you for saving us from our sins. Thank you for making us into who you want us to be and are making us into who you want us to be. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.